Hey, dear saints, you're listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons from Pastor Kilgo, preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that as you hear God's word, you would be strengthened in faith and love and rejoice in the joy of the Lord's promises and kindness. A reading from Genesis, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins, and clothed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Second Corinthians, chapter 6. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry, but as servants of God we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God. 
with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors, yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying, and behold, we live, as punished, yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Matthew, chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after for fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And Jesus said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. O Lord God, you led your ancient people through the wilderness and brought them to the promised land. Guide the people of your church that following our Savior we may walk through the wilderness of this world toward the glory of the world to come. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, it is the devil's one and only aim to steal from the church and the Lord's Christians God's word. To not believe what Jesus has said. That is what the devil is always up to. Everything that he's doing is always geared towards that. Because the devil knows that if he can sever you, from God's word, that he can also sever you from God himself and from eternal life and from the eternal joys of the resurrection. And also that if the devil, the devil knows that if he can sever you from God's word, he can also sever you from loving your neighbor. And so in order to instruct and warn us against this temptation of the devil, this fight that we're in the midst of, we have these two accounts. The first temptation of the devil to Adam and Eve, and the parallel temptation to our Lord Jesus Christ where things do not go quite the same way. So first we have the temptation with Adam and Eve, and this is where we get the phrase we all know, did God really say? Here we see already that the temptation that the devil always brings is to disbelieve God's word. The devil asks Eve, did God really say that you should not eat of any fruit of the tree in the garden, which is not what God said. God said you can eat of the fruit of any tree in the garden except this one. He gave very explicit instructions. There weren't any, any sort of loopholes in this. But the devil comes along and he tries to convince Eve that what, the, what God is actually doing here is mean. That God doesn't really love Adam and Eve. That he wants to be stingy with his gifts. That he wants to keep from them the knowledge of good and evil. 
And so he says, God knows that if you eat that tree, you're not actually going to die, that your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. Now, there's, there's a number of issues wrong with this, but a couple of ones to, to maybe note is that Adam and Eve are already like God. They're made in his image. They are perfect in his image already, and they already know all good. The only thing that the Lord has withheld from Adam and Eve is the knowledge of evil. That, that's the, the trick of the devil here. It's a, it's a half-truth. Yes, God has withheld them from them something, but it's something that you wouldn't want anyway. You can imagine how much better life would be if none of us knew of evil. So in the end, the devil convinces them that God is wrong, that they're not going to die, and he does this by getting them to listen to his own words. Now, this is immensely important, that the way the devil tempts us away from God's word is not by just removing that word and leaving an empty void in its place. Luther marvelously makes this note, that God turned Adam and Eve into enthusiasts, that is, those who expect the Holy Spirit apart from God's word. He did this by drawing them away from God's external word, what he had spoken to them in the garden, but he did so with other words. The devil always fills the void with other words, and very often words that sound very nice, very godly, but there's always a twist to them, as as we'll see in the temptation to Jesus. Now, Adam and Eve do not recognize what has happened until after it's all done, until after they've both eaten of the fruit and their eyes are open, they recognize their nakedness, they recognize their fallenness, they are now afraid of God, and we should note that they're also, when they go and they cower in the corner behind the bushes, that they're hiding with the devil. The devil has become their friend and God their enemy. Now, thankfully, the Lord comes along and he undoes both of those, but he first undoes our friendship with the devil, and he puts us at enmity with him, which is good for us. But it means that we are fighting this. In the process, though, as the Lord is speaking to them, we notice that there is a pattern that all of a sudden Adam and Eve are trying to cover up their, their shame, their, their sin, and they're trying to do it themselves. They, they try and cover it with their own fig leaves. They try and cover it with lies. They try and cover it with passing the blame. Adam blames God first, and then also blaze, blames the woman. Uh, and then uh, Eve blames the devil. It's interesting, God doesn't give any chance for the devil to speak. He just immediately starts condemning him, which may be a good note for us. And this becomes then the pattern of all mankind, that we are always tempted to cover up our own sin, uh, either through our own self-righteousness or through our good works, or that when we're confronted with sin, that we try and pass the blame to someone else, even maybe blaming the devil. The devil made me do it which we might note that that excuse doesn't work for Eve. It's probably not going to work for us either. And so ever since the fall, that this then gives the, the reality for all humanity. Ever since the fall, all of us bear these same marks. All of us are fallen. All of us are sinners. All of us are enemies of God because of this. And because of the fall, We pass this on from generation to generation, as we'll sing at the end of the service. All mankind fell in Adam's fall. One common sin infects them all. From age to age, the curse descends, and over all, God's wrath impends. Through all our powers, corruption creeps. 
and into dreadful bondage keeps. In guilt we draw our infant breath and reap its fruits of woe and death. God was not lying when he said on the day in which you eat of it, dying you will die. There will be a double death. You will die spiritually, you will die physically, and we are still dealing with the consequences of that today. Now, in contrast to all of this, we have the temptation of Jesus in the garden, the new Adam, the second Adam. As we'll see, Christ, the second Adam, came. And in contrast, it goes much differently. Now, it is the way that the temptation goes that is different, but not the way... It's the result that's different, not the way in which the devil comes with the temptation. We should note that rather clearly. That the temptation is always to disbelieve what God has said in his word. Now, for Adam and Eve, it's you shall not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. You shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For Jesus, you, you can hear the echoing of what's just happened in Matthew chapter 3. Right before this, Jesus has been baptized in the wilderness by John, and the Father has spoken from the clouds and made this marvelous statement, you are my beloved son. And so what is the temptation, the chief temptation that the devil brings against Jesus here? If you are the son of God. Notice every single temptation begins that way from the devil. If you are the son of God, turn these rocks into bread. If you are the son of God, throw yourself off the temple. If you are the son of God, bow down and worship. The, the, the other things in there are sub-temptations. They are temptation to be sure, that, but the main temptation is to disbelieve what the Father has spoken to Jesus in his baptism. And the same is true for us. The main temptation that the devil brings to us is to disbelieve what God has spoken to us through the scriptures, especially in things like our own baptisms, that we are the beloved children of God. The thing we have to realize with this at its core is that the devil only has one trick. He only has one lie. It is the, did God really say? He just flavors it differently throughout our lives and throughout history. It's like he's bringing us tomato soup, but sometimes he puts basil in it. Sometimes he puts cream in it. Sometimes salt and pepper, sometimes just plain. But at the end of the day, it's all basil soup, or all it's all tomato soup. Right? It's all the same thing. It's the same lie over and over and over, just a little bit twisted. Now, when we look at the temptation of Jesus, we see that there are three main things apart from disbelieving God's word that he is God's beloved son, the Father's beloved son. There are three things the devil is tempting Jesus to not believe here. The first, or tempting Jesus towards, the first is the desires of creation over against God's word. The second is the taking away or the adding to God's word, to make it fit whatever notions we might like. And the other one is to have the worldly goods and comforts, the, the glory of the world over and against the glory of God. And so we start with the first, the desires of the world. If you are the son of God, turn these loaves into bread. Now, this is a temptation because Jesus is, as the text says, hungry. And you can imagine, if you're Jesus, and you have all authority in heaven and on earth, if you are God in the flesh... You can turn the rocks into loaves of bread, and you want to eat. You've been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. This is a serious temptation for, for Jesus. 
But part of the temptation that is in here that Jesus very clearly recognizes and why he resists this is that it's a temptation that we have to choose. It's a temptation that we have to choose between the gifts of God in this creation, the gifts of God in Christ, and the gifts of God in the church. Now, remember this. The creed gives us this, this layout of the gifts of God. So we have first article gifts, and the technical term for that is, as we learned in Bible study, stuff. Right? So everything that's been created. And then we have the second article gift, and that is Jesus himself, his redemptive work and his blood. And then the third article, and his resurrection. And the third article gifts is that uh, the gifts of the church, forgiveness, life, eternal salvation. Right? And God gives all of these to us. He does not make us choose between them. And so the devil comes along and he tries to convince us that we have to choose. You can either have the rocks turned into bread or you can have God's word. But he is a liar. You can have the things of creation and you can have Christ and you can have the things of the church. God gives them all to you. They are not to be used in opposition to each other. They're to be used in concert with each other. But he does give them all to you. Jesus reminds us of this in how he responds to the devil. He doesn't say, man does not live by bread, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, but man does not live by bread alone. Man does live by bread. We do need the things of this life in order to support us. God knows that. That's why he gives them to us out of his own mercy. That's why he guards them in the seventh commandment. That's why he teaches us to pray for them in the fourth petition. All of this he gives to us, only out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in us. He delights to give them to us. Food and clothing and family and entertainment and sports and leisure and work and school, all of these things, they are all good gifts from God. But he does not ever give them at the expense of his word or of himself. So that's the first temptation. When that doesn't work, the devil shifts gears a little bit. Now we have the, the temptation of uh, hearing a misquoted word of God. The devil's heard Jesus loud and clear, it is written, and so he starts playing that game too. And the devil, we should know, knows the Bible better than we do. He knows how to quote it. If you are the son of God, throw yourself from this temple, for it is written, you know, as he's echoing Jesus here, it is written, he'll command his angels concerning you, and they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now there's an ominous thing that is missing there. We, we sang it in the gradual. To guard you in all your ways. Now, we might also notice that the, the devil didn't quote the part in Psalm 91, which is what he's quoting from. He didn't quote this part of it either. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Uh, my guess is the devil doesn't like that part too much, him being the, the serpent and the prowling lion himself. So he quotes the, the pieces of it that, fit his, his goal to get Jesus to disbelieve God's word. And the, the issue of missing this part in there to guard you in all your ways is that this is the part that guards our vocation. God guards us according to the places in life that he's placed us. It is not the vocation of Jesus to throw himself off the temple. It is the vocation of Jesus to die, but not there and not in that way. It's going to be three years later outside Jerusalem for the sins of all humanity in accordance with his will and the Father's will. But not there. That is not the Father's will. In, in the same way, we need to be guarded against this as well, that the devil tempts us to try and live in ways that are outside of his will for us, outside of our vocations. And he's given us all these vocations to live in. 
Uh, mother and father and husband and wife and child and worker and employer, uh, citizen, government, all these things. Check out the table of duties at the back of the catechism, and you'll see this really nice list. There's 13 of them in there, stations in life. And Luther gives us these Bible passages that just govern these various uh, stations in life. So if, you, if you're curious where God guards you, in what ways does God guard you, well, there they are, right there, the places that he's already set you in life. He, he doesn't guard you in the places that he hasn't set you. That's why God is generally not in the business of catching people that throw themselves off of buildings. It's not the vocation that he's given them. And the same is true for Jesus. He's not going to catch Jesus if, if he does that. The other thing that we should remember in this, there, there's a little uh, echoing of this. To guard you in all your ways, we should remember uh, that the people of the church, the Christians, their very first name is the, the people of the way. And this is your chief vocation, to guard you in the way of Christ, to guard you in him who is the way and the truth and the life. That the angels, the holy angels of God, guard you in your vocation as a Christian to protect you against all the assaults of the devil and your sin in the world. The other thing that we should notice, and this is a sermon for another time, but just to, to note it, is that what the devil does here is, is an example of how he usually brings God's word to us, and that is that he either leaves a little piece out that makes all the difference, or he just twists the words around a little bit. He, um, he adds a little bit to it. Uh, so there's, there's these three ways that he does it. He either removes something, or he twists the words, or he adds something. And so we need to remember that in order to actually guard against that temptation of the devil, we also have to know the scriptures. That is the only way that we can guard against those so that we know when he's quoting it wrong, like he does to Adam and Eve and like he does to Jesus. And we should remember, if, if he will come to Jesus with a misquoted word of Jesus, he will certainly do so for us too. But that one doesn't work either. And you can sense that the devil's a little bit frustrated at this point because the devil's temptations have always worked. He always gets the people to fall. And now his two, his two best shots have, have not worked. And so there's a, a sense of desperation then. He shows him the, uh, all the places of the world and their glory. And he says, all these, if you are the son of God, all these I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. And here is then the devil revealing what his ultimate goal is, that he wants us to worship him. That is always what the devil is aiming at by trying to take us from God's word. Because we will worship something. Everybody worships something. The question is what its name is. And the devil wants us to be directed away from worshiping God, the one true God. And it's a similar sort of temptation to the first one, but there's a couple of main differences. One is that he's trying to convince Jesus that he ought to gain the whole world in its glory and thereby rejecting the glory of God. Jesus reminds us that his glory is not of this world, his kingdom is not of this world. And so this, is, this would be a major fall for Jesus. If he falls here, all of salvation falls with him. And then the other thing is, as we mentioned, the main difference between this and the first one is that he reveals that he wants us to worship him. Now, the devil tempts Jesus with this, the, the glory of the world instead of the glory of the cross, and it is the same temptation for us. We are tempted that, to exchange the glory of God for the glory of the world, and the world very often looks a lot more glorious externally than the church does. And so the devil uses this temptation quite a bit. It is very effective. But we have to remember what Jesus warns about here, that 
to be friends with the world is to be at enmity with God. We can't have both. Jesus says, when the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So our temptation is to come along and to speak like the world or act like the world or do, the, do things like the world, and one of two things will happen there, both of which are an exchanging of the glory of God for the glory of the world. Either we will become like the world itself, we'll essentially be the world in a pretty building, or the world will continue to hate us anyway because it hates Jesus, regardless of how much we try and sound like the world. And so Jesus just reminds us later on in the gospel, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to forfeit his soul? And if Jesus resists this temptation, we ought to resist it ourselves as well. And finally, at the end of this, Jesus just tells the devil to go away. Be gone, Satan. And this is then the comfort for us in the text. There's, there's not a lot of comfort in this text, but this is it. It's what we saw in the parable of the sower, that even though the devil fights against God's word, God's word fights back, and so does God. God does not abandon us to fight against the devil alone. He gives us the weapons and defense to do so, and he himself fights. It's what we just sang about a, a bit ago. A mighty fortress is our God, a trusty shield and weapon. The old evil foe now means deadly woe. Deep guile and great might are his dread arms in fight. On earth is not his equal. With might of ours cannot be done. Soon were our loss effected. But for us fights the valiant one. Jesus Christ it is. And he holds the field forever. And we tremble not. We fear no ill. This world's prince may still scowl fierce as he will. He can harm us none. He's judged. The deed is done. One little word can fell him. Jesus is by our side upon the plain with his good gifts in spirit. And take they our life and goods and fame and child and wife, though these all be gone, our victories yet won. The kingdom remains ours. All temptations of the devil are fundamentally temptations against the word of God. Because when, if we are drawn away from the word of God, we are drawn away from God himself. And the devil knows this. He knows that death and life and angels and rulers and things present and things to come and height and depth and powers and anything else in creation, that none of these can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He knows that the only way that he can separate us from God is to separate us from his word, to steal the seed of the sower from us. And so that's where every attack is focused. But we are given, dear saints, to fight back with the very thing that the devil sets his attack on, the word of God. This is why every response of Christ is prefaced in this way. It is written. It is written. It is written. That is our response to the devil too. It is written. And when we speak the word of God to the devil, when he comes and he tempts us, we drive him away with God's word just as Jesus does. This is, as Luther calls it, the fumigation of the devil. But more than that, when Jesus tells us that it is written, he's showing us not only how we fight against the devil, but he's also showing us that we ought to trust the scriptures, that they are in fact sufficient, that they're sufficient for the faith, they're, they're sufficient for the fight, that when they say something, they actually do mean it, despite what the devil might say. And every issue we have in the world and the church is fundamentally an issue with believing what God's word says. 
And so we're not left alone in the fight. We have the Lord's word as our sword, the sharpest weapon that we can have, a blade that will easily slice through the neck of any serpent any time he tries to draw near to us and will drive him back at the slightest mention of that word. And we also have our Lord Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the promise in Genesis 3 and every other promise since, that he would, for us, crush the serpent's head. And our Lord is faithful in all things. He's come as he's promised, and he has withstood all the assaults of the evil one for your sake, and he has crushed the head of the serpent at the place of the skull at Golgotha, at Calvary, on the hill outside Jerusalem, as was his vocation to do. And because he is victorious over the devil, he gives you the means to fight against the devil alongside him, and he fights with you. We are bid to resist the devil with the it is written of God's word. We're bid to fight, as St. Paul says, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left hand, that is, with the word of God. We are given also, though, to use these words to comfort and sustain one another in the midst of our afflictions. Because the word of God, while it is a poison to the devil and his undoing, it is for us a balm that heals and a shield that protects and a living and active word that comforts and sustains you in every affliction and which will bring you with Christ into the blessed resurrection on the last day. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword, sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.